Stacks of Cash podcast. I have Jay Cohn once again with me here today. I'm David Duncan. Um, you know, one of the cool things that Jay and I um, like about doing these podcasts is we can go back and listen to some of the old podcasts we did and to see, you know, were we in left field? Were we onto something? Or, or, or how, did we, how did we analyze that specific topic? And so, you know, this week, um, a big number came out, and that was the inflation number, the CPI number. Uh, so we went back to our Rolodex, and we looked back, and it come to find out, we did a podcast episode on Inflation Nation on July 20th of last year, 2021. So we took a listen to that to see what we said. Um, and, you know, if I could summarize the podcast very briefly, we thought, you know, at the time, the Federal Reserve federal government was saying that the inflation that we were experiencing was transitory and we weren't buying it. So I wish we could uh, pick sports games and the winners of games as good as we picked that one. It doesn't work that way. Um, but we were on to something. And so what, since there was a big print on Wednesday, we wanted to discuss the inflation numbers, where we are, what's causing it, and just more of a part two to the one we did last year. So Jay, what's going on with inflation? We were right. We don't get to say that often. So, uh, you know, what do you have to say about where we are and what's causing this quote-unquote transitory inflation? Well, Dave, it's great to be with you this morning, and and it's been a little bit since we've done a podcast. Uh, Well, here's what I'd say. Um, Number one, I'm I'm disappointed that we were right. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, nobody really wants to have what would appear to be runaway inflation, and, and, and you're right. We, we, were, we were concerned that some of the moves that were being made by the Federal Reserve, by Congress, and, and, and by the administration from a policy standpoint, that it might create an inflationary environment that would be stickier than what was originally anticipated. Mm-hmm. Well, lo and behold, you know, going back to January, really, of this year, we started getting prints that were 40-year records. 40-year record, 40-year record in a row, in a row, in a row. And in fact, on Wednesday, I believe they said it was a 41-year record, yeah. 8.9% on the CPI. And yesterday, I think it was the What did you say? Did you say it was 8.1? 8. 8.9. 8.9. 8.9%, 8. which is pretty pretty huge. Uh, yeah. That was correct, right? 8.9? Yeah, I thought it was 9.1. Oh, okay. Well, it was a lot. Even worse. Yeah, it's 9.1. Yeah, you're Even correct. Worse. So, so, but then also the PPI came out yesterday, and it was really hot. It was double digits. Yeah. So, what we want to do is we want to go back and we want to dig in a little bit deeper into what we think is driving inflation, number one. And number two, why we are getting some hints that this should start to correct itself a little bit. I don't think we're going to see long-term trends like we've had over the last several decades, David, Mm -hmm. because for the last several decades, we've imported deflation vis-a-vis imports from lower-cost countries from around the world, and that was in the form of what we were calling globalization, Mm -hmm. and the pandemic really shown a bright light on why these far-flung supply chains 
were problematic. And so what that has created is a shift to deglobalization. So with, with that, why don't we just why don't we just jump right in? I mean, we, we, we wrote a piece here the mm-hmm. other day, yep. and we outlined three primary things that we thought were driving the inflation situation. So why don't you take the first one, Dave? Yeah, so that's exactly right. So the first one is probably the most top of mind to anyone listening today, and that is anytime you go fill up your gas tank. So the gas prices, as you can tell, have been through the roof. They've come back a little bit. Um, and settled in a little bit, but we don't know if that's here to stay or not. But there's no doubt that oil prices have gone way, way up this year. And so that really um, is a result of two major things that are happening. And, and the first one would be more of a political lens. And we don't like to talk politics, but you know, in 2020, we had an election and we had a candidate who ended up winning who said that you know, they were going to crack down on drilling for oil in this country. You know, that's all well and good. Politicians say a lot of things, but if you're an oil company and that person gets elected, are you going to invest more into drilling or less? You're probably going to invest less in it because you, you, you just don't, won't have the resources and you don't have the friendly administration. So that's more of the backdrop. But on top of that, you have this ESG movement, which is, I'm sure you've heard it if you turn on the news. I, every time I turn on, I hear about ESG, but it's environmental social and governance. And basically what that is, is that's a um, attempt or a movement to invest in green companies, social governance, I don't know what that means, um, and, and just socially responsible, quote unquote, companies. And so if you think about that, the fossil fuel industry, oil, is their prime target. And so, you know, with the backdrop of the political lens, and then you have these big institutional investors. And I'm going to pause there. What's an institutional investor? Think like a Vanguard, any Fidelity, State Street, anybody who makes mutual funds, who buys tons and tons of stock. That's an institutional investor. I read an article the other day that Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, said that they are going to vote and they're going to allocate capital to companies that have ESG. So that's not good if you're an oil company. So what does that mean? Bad backdrop, politically, you have ESG movement. There's not a lot of investment going on in the oil industry, which decreases supply and raises costs. Well, it, it, even to be more granular in that area, to get, get into some specifics, um, in the prior administration, what they demonstrated was that, that the United States, which, by the way, we have oil fields below the surface that I've been told or I've read, are somewhere between five to ten times larger than what exists in Saudi Arabia. So to put that in kind of numbers term for you, we're talking decades and decades worth of energy that's available right here in the United States. And so one of the things that happened is, is that when the new administration came in, they immediately canceled the Keystone Pipeline project, which permitted oil to flow from Canada down into the United States. That was one. Secondly, they, they pull back a lot of leases for oil drilling on, on government land. Mm-hmm. And so those two things really turned the spigot. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you had the uh, Russia invasion of Ukraine, and you had all these embargoes uh, with, with specifics to their oil. 
So you, you had a couple things that were going on that were, were real problematic for the for the supply side. Right. So you have that that that's policy. Those are those are like self-inflicted wounds, period. And so and and it's all as David's saying is being really kind of done in the name of uh, environmental, social, and governance. And so while we believe directionally, uh, that all makes sense. I mean, aspirationally, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Listen, in the early 20th century, we were polluting the Great Lakes. Lake Erie caught on fire. It was so polluted. Yeah, the Cuyahoga River. I'm yeah, from Ohio. Man. Right. That's a mistake by the lake. Yeah, it, 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 right, exactly. So, so we, we all want a clean environment, right? But it has to be done in the context of, of some degree of sanity. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, the policy part was a self-inflicted wound. I'm going to jump in, David, to 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 another another item, and that that really comes to the supply demand imbalance, mm-hmm. and then we'll wrap up with the monetary base change. Sure. So really, the supply demand imbalance is what's really coming out of the pandemic. I mean, it was a hangover. People were stuck at home for many, many, many months. Right. They weren't traveling. They weren't buying new clothes for work. They weren't going out to eat. They weren't going out to eat. They weren't driving. And the government was pumping out a lot of money in the form of unemployment benefits and other other social safety net features that created a savings rate. David, what did we say? I think it was some crazy Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I think that if my, my memory is correct, if you go right back before the pandemic in late 2019, the average consumer aggregate in the United States had about $9 trillion in savings. That went to 14 after the pandemic. Wow. That's I mean, a so huge That's like change. a 50% increase. So, so pause on that for a second. So you had a 50% increase in the amount of savings, cash that yeah. people had, okay? And then on top of that, you had a supply chain that was completely disrupted. Heck, recently Shanghai was still shut down due to a resurgence in COVID. And so the supply chain, the availability of parts in the manufacturing process, think chips in particular for automotives, right. and also people not being used to work, and, and many people on the margins who have this excess savings, maybe delaying going back to work, uh, that reduction in supply of goods and labor and, and juxtaposition with people that had lots of money that finally got, quote, freed, then all this pent-up demand for travel, all this pent-up demand for going out and having a good time, and you, 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 you just look at that, and you have this huge supply-demand disruption. And so there definitely is a lot of upward pressure. We like to call it, there's too much money chasing too few goods. And that is a driver of inflation. So you have increased gas prices, as David just pointed mm-hmm. out. You have too many dollars chasing too few goods. You also have a demographic thing, and, and we don't really elaborate on this specifically, but it is a big component of inflation, and that is housing costs, most particularly notated in rents. Yeah. And so there's been an enormous underproduction of housing in our country coming out of the 08-09 crisis. So what's happened is, is rents have gone up a good deal. So you, you throw in rents, you throw in increased gas prices, and you throw in a supply-demand uh, imbalance, you've got yourself a witch's brew. But that isn't enough. There's even, on top of that, 
an additional, it's like you had a pretty good fire going, and then what they did is they dropped a boatload of kerosene on top of it. Dave, what happened in the early 21? Early 21? What did happen in early 21? You're putting me on the spot. I'm trying to think. Well, you had a new administration came hand. in, yeah. and they wanted to The spending sure, bill? Yeah, yeah. The How infrastructure that? bill. Remember that? $1.9 trillion. $1.9 yeah. trillion. I can't believe that was the beginning of 2021. <laughs> yeah, it was it's the beginning of 2021. So, so you had the government came in, the administration, Congress in particular, passed this enormous stimulus bill mm -hmm. on the heels of this pandemic really kind of, kind yeah, of yeah. going into the sunset. And so that really comes to this thing, and if you're speaking to economists, one in particular we follow quite closely is a guy named Brian Westbury. We love him. If you're not listening to him, you ought to. First Trust, he's great. He would attribute inflation largely to the increase in the monetary base. And without geeking out on you, we, we, we covered an example mm -hmm. in the prior Inflation Nation podcast that we did where we were using an apple as an example. Dave, I don't know, do you want to give a real quick basic yeah. overview of what this really means? Because it's important. When we say monetary base, and Dave, you're going to get into specifics in a moment, but when you speak of monetary base, it's the amount of currency that's in, 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 in um, circulation, circulation yeah. in the economy. And so if you had X amount of dollars in circulation, and you doubled the amount of dollars in circulation overnight, mm -hmm. then the value of that dollar would go down. Yeah, I mean, I think the example we use, I mean, you got to go, this is almost like the Adam and Eve example. So let's say, for example, you had $5 in your little economy. Jay and I were the economy. We had $5. There were apples. Apples were the only thing we could eat. So five apples, $5, each apple equals a dollar. Well, if all of a sudden now we have $10, just kind of, I hate to say it, but kind of made up. Yeah, nothing else happened. Yeah, so we changed. had a magical Xerox machine and we just made photocopies of the $5. Now we have $10 that are out there. And nothing, everything else is equal. Now what, what does that do to the price of an apple? It doubled. Now each apple is worth $2. So that's a very simplified example of inflation. And a lot of that came true coming out of this pandemic. Dave, I, you know, as we look at the remaining minutes that we have together, why don't we kind of transition a little bit to, to why overall, you know, the, the markets overall are a pretty good self-correcting mechanism. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't really love central planning, mm -hmm. particularly central banking. But there are mechanisms out there that are in place today, and there are actions in place today. You're starting to see a little bit of it. Yeah, you touched on it earlier in the podcast about, you know, for years, over the last maybe 30, 40 years, we've been importing deflation. And when I think of importing deflation, that may sound like gargly goop to you guys listening, but I think about going to Walmart and buying a bunch of inexpensive goods from China. We've imported that in and it's kept the price of these goods very low. That can be a good thing. However, this pandemic and this Ukrainian war that we're seeing is showing us that you know, reliance on supply chains that are in countries that may or may not have our best interests in mind, that causes a, it's almost like a national security, but if you look more granularly, more like a, a 
company-based national security crisis. So what we're starting to see is a huge change in the trend, and that is now we're exporting inflation. What's that mean? Jobs, manufacturing are coming back on the U.S. shores, and, and that allows for, you know, a little bit more higher-priced goods, but better jobs for the U.S. worker. And this is a trend that we've been seeing. It's just starting to manifest now. So we hope this trend continues. Yeah, I mean, our, our macro view is, and, and when we say macro, we mean over the next several decades, that um, we, we, are, we anticipate an expansion in the middle class that, that we haven't really seen in quite a few years. Why do we say that? Well, you're starting to see CEOs and companies come in and announce they're going to begin developing manufacturing capacity in the United States. And these are many of these are companies that had exported manufacturing capacity abroad. And as we've notated already, part of that's because when the pandemic hit, and we realized we couldn't even make basic things like N95 masks, that that, that was a problem. And so uh, that's a basic one. I mean, a not basic one is automotive companies cannot build the cars they've engineered mm-hmm. because they don't have the chips available to complete the car. That is a problem. The good thing about that is, for example, Intel just announced they're going to build a $20 billion plant in Ohio to manufacture chips. Those will be, A, really good construction jobs to build the plant, yeah. B, really good jobs for people that are running the plant, and C, It'll create a bigger tax base for the communities in which those plants exist, which will, of course, help out the schools, the communities, and there are also service providers that will pop up to support the fact that there'll be a $20 billion plant in place. So the upside of all that is, is that reonshoring, deglobalization, this is, this is good news over the long term for those people in the middle class. We also think there could be somewhat of a decoupling on this this move to where everybody has to have a four-year college degree and take on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to get there. So we're not going to get into that a whole lot right here. The other thing is, what I really wanted to get into also in our final minute or two here is we're seeing some self-correction. Okay, Number one, the Federal Reserve Bank is very aggressively raising interest rates. Nobody likes to see it because it increases their cost of capital. But what it does do is it takes care of some demand side that was excessive driving up some of these prices. So that's a good thing. Okay. Secondly, what we're seeing is, is companies, their cost of capital is going up, which means they're going to be a little bit more cautious. They're not quite as confident or certain in their future. Dave, I mean, we've yeah. been talking about the job scene here, and, and, and that's really kind of the final blow yeah. is self-correction. Yeah, I mean, as you're aware and you probably heard, many companies had so many job openings that they could not fill. I don't know how many of our clients said that we cannot fill the jobs that we're looking for. Well, now with higher interest rates, um, all this talk of the recession, 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 the consumer is starting to regulate themselves. And companies are starting to regulate themselves. Instead of filling these open positions for, for uh, salaries that are probably way over market, now they're taking a look in, they're being a little bit more cautious, and they're saying, you know what, maybe we're going to do a hiring freeze, or maybe we're going to scale back on hiring. Take a look at the current positions right now, 
maybe divvy up the work amongst the people that are currently working. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing, and we're starting to see that in the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, it's kind of like uh, nature. Everything kind of comes back into balance. And we, you know, David and I have, we're, we're always going to remain optimistic in the long term. We remain optimistic. You know, we always like to say when things are really, really bad, that's when we get a little bit more encouraged. Mm-hmm. And conversely, when things are really, really good, we get a little bit more conservative. So, you know, it always seems to make sense and it always seems to work out, Dave. Yeah. And so before, before we go, and we have maybe about a minute left, let's do a little prediction here. I mean, what do we think? So right now we're at the highest inflation print in the last 41 years. Jay and I have been looking at some of the numbers, and, and, and we feel like we're getting close to the top. We could be at the top of the inflation print. Maybe it's rounding off, but when we look at what's going on in the market, commodity prices have come down. Oil's come down. Steel has come down. Uh, used cars, remember how expensive used cars were? Yeah. Those prices have come down. New cars, that price has stayed the same. So we're starting to see a rounding out uh, and maybe getting to the apex of this inflation print. So that's where our head is. We're not, we're not Pollyanna. We're not, you know, fire and brimstone. We're cautious about this, but we do see some, some clear skies ahead, hopefully, uh, on the inflation side. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if we're going to make a prediction, Dave, I, I think by this time next year, we're going to see a lot cooler situation. We think there's a recession. Uh, we shouldn't really be that worried about the word recession. People overbought it, overplayed it. it, it it's okay. It, it's the mm-hmm. you have to have a reset once in a while, and that's not a bad thing. So, listen, everybody. Uh, want to thank you for for listening today. Also, want to make a note, Dave. Uh, we have a TikTok stacks of cash pod. Yeah, thank you. Check yes. that out if you want something a little more regularly. We do little sixty second videos. Uh, we try to do them once a day. Also, please let your family and friends, coworkers know, or enemies, or enemies know about Stacks of Cash podcast. It's available on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. The information in our podcast are the opinions and viewpoints of the moderators and guests only. For information and disclosures regarding Monterey Wealth and its professionals, please go to www.montereywealth.com and select the firm disclosures link under the about tab.